pretty embarrassing when the preacher's praying and his phone alarm goes off. Shame, shame. All right, well, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 12 this morning. We're going to be getting into the very last chapter of the book of Daniel, and we're going to be talking about the climax of all history, one of my favorite topics. And um, one of the things I hope that you have seen as we have gone through the book of Daniel is that it is probably the most comprehensive book of prophecy in all of Scripture. And even in just a few moments, we're going to read a passage where at the very end of the book of Daniel, he's going to tell Daniel to take these words and seal them up. He says, because the time is not yet, time of the end has not come. The book of Revelation is a little bit different. Remember when John wrote the book of Revelation, he didn't tell him to seal those words. He actually said, do not seal those words. Why? Because the time is at hand. And so by the time you get to John's day, a lot of what had been sealed in Daniel's day is starting to be open. And I will argue that they, these books have been in the process of being opened for the last 2,000 years. And my, 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 what it would be if we happened to be that last generation. I would welcome it with open arms. You know why? Because I'm kind of tired of the sin and the destruction and the pain of this earth. I'm looking forward to the day when our Savior will return. When there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more wars, no more evil, no more wickedness. When God Himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes and we will finally be able to live with our Lord and Savior. Don't you look forward to that day? I know I do. Yeah, go ahead, David. Where's that microphone real quick? Okay. Sorry, David. It's taken me a year, but I'm finally learning. When he says to seal the scroll until the time of the end, yeah. we have the book of Daniel. They had the book of Daniel in the first century. What does that mean? Very good. And until the end, is he talking about the end times or until the, the last age that we're in right That's now? That's a very good point. So when Daniel says, seal up the book until the time of the end, the idea there is spiritually, you are not going to understand the contents of the book until God is ready for you to. Does that make sense? So, yeah, in other words, there are things that are going to be in that book. That, and he even says, we're going to get to it, that people will go to and fro, and the idea there in the language means your eyes searching back and forth, searching the Holy Scriptures, trying to figure out the prophecies, trying to understand. Daniel himself, if you remember, was in anguish to the point of sickness, fasting and praying and trying to understand. And even then, he didn't get the full picture, right? But it says until the time of the end. And when you get to chapter 12, it tells us when the time of the end is. And that's at the time of the resurrection. At the time of the resurrection. So, in other words, these things, some of which we do understand, right? There are things that we've been able to look in the book of Daniel because we live on the other side of history. We can look back and go, that makes sense. That was Alexander. Oh, that's when he fell. That's when it divided into four. Oh, I get it now. That's, that was Antiochus Epiphanes. I get it. That was the little horn. And so as you move through history, it begins to reveal itself more and more. But then there's other parts of Daniel that we're clueless about, right? And we're going to get into a couple of those here in a minute. And, and you're going to have questions, and this preacher ain't got no answers. I guarantee it. But we're not supposed to. Because why? It'll only make sense when it's supposed to make sense. Does that make sense? That's a joke. Okay. All right. So let's get into it. Um, we're going to uh, take a quick, 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 because I know that we've talked about this uh, quite a bit. 
But just for what we're going to get into in chapter 12, I want to take a very quick glance back at Daniel 8. So if you would, take your Bibles, go back to Daniel chapter 8. Um, and uh, we're going to read just through some verses to get, to get it in our minds as we move forward. Um, but let's fresh, refresh our minds a little bit about Antiochus Epiphanes. I know that you guys are probably tired of hearing about this guy by now. But I can't tell you how important this man is uh, in history. For those of you who may not have been here or may not remember, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes is going to become the type, the picture, the model of the final world ruler. The final world ruler of the final world empire that will come against God's people prior to the, what we call the return of Jesus Christ, the, the, the appearance of the Messiah. Okay? Look at Daniel chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land, which is Israel. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens, and it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled upon them, and it set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord, and his sanctuary was thrown down. Again, these are pictures, types, if you will, imagine seeing yourself as a, uh, the sun is behind you and you're making shapes on the ground and you, you know, you're making like, uh, you know, shadow pictures and so forth. This is the shadow, you understand? You're looking at the shadow right now. And if you think about it through the eyes of the spirit, what you're looking at through this shadow is showing you a greater reality that is yet to come. Are we all on the same page? Okay. So this describes the actions that Antiochus Epiphanes took against the Jews during the intertestamental period, but it's trying to get you the idea that it's setting it up for it to happen again in a bigger picture, in a fuller picture, in a much more completed sense, in the final sense, if you will. Keep reading with me. It, uh, skip down to verse 20. The two-horned ram that you saw, this is uh, the angel's interpretation of what he, rep what he shared earlier, represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece. The large horn between its eyes is the first king. That's Alexander the Great. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represents four kingdoms that will emerge from this nation but will not have the same power. That was the four generals that took over. Remember, the main two that we're going to be interested in or that we have been interested in are the Seleucid Empire and the Ptolemaic Empire, Egypt and Syria. Okay, Going through this really, really fast because we've already done this many, many times. Um, he will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation, and he will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper. He will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. See, that's how we know that this is not talking about something historical. Remember how we talked about prophetic language. It blends, it moves, it, it talks about the shadow, and then sometimes it can transition to the point. And that's what's happening here. Who's the prince of princes in the book of Daniel? Jesus Christ. We know him as Jesus. He didn't, I don't think Daniel knew his name, right? Which is ironic because they knew that one day salvation would come. Guess what the word salvation is in Hebrew? Yeshua. So in a sense, in a prophetic sense, in a typology sense, in a shadow sense, they knew the name of the Messiah even though they didn't realize it. Isn't that amazing? I'm glad one of you thinks so. No, I'm kidding. All right. He will be destroyed, but how will he be destroyed? Not by human power. Now, what do you know about this figure known as the Antichrist that Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? that John describes in the book of Revelation 
How is he destroyed? Does anyone remember? Is he destroyed by a human army? Do the U.S. Marines go over there and take him down with a sniper? No. It says that Christ himself returns and he will be destroyed by the fire of his breath. Now that creates a very odd word picture, doesn't it? (laughs) Whoosh! But think about the picture. What is the fire of his breath? His words, right? His words. Because no matter what Satan can try to do against him, his word will stand no matter what, okay? Now, so far, it's interesting. Every illusion that you have to this character, whether you're talking about Daniel 7, Daniel 8, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Revelation chapter 13, Revelation chapter 17, you always find this guy having one main issue. He loves to shoot off his mouth. He is an arrogant, boastful person. And in fact, he, he doesn't even care about God. It was not like, you know, some people say, well, he's going to be Muslim. Listen, he, he don't care about any God. He could care less about Allah. He could care less about Jehovah. He could care less about Buddha. He could care less about Why? Because he says, I'm God. I'm God. Now, I want to give you a conjecture, and this is not something in my notes, and honestly, this is something I'm just feeling from the Lord right now. I'm just going to share it. There is a great movement that is happening right now in our country and in other countries, and it's almost, and it's, let me tell you where it's affecting people. It's affecting people the most in churches that believe in the charismatic gifts today. I wouldn't know this if, if I didn't walk in some of these circles sometimes because of the things that have happened to me. But there is almost a blending that's starting to take place between New Age ways of thinking and, um, and Christianity. And it's this idea that, you know what, maybe what this is, because life just seems to keep going on and on and on, Jesus isn't coming back, maybe we are the ones who need to rise up. Maybe we're the ones who just need to be like Christ and usher in the kingdom. Maybe we're the ones that need to take over the seven mountains. Have you ever heard that? The seven mountain mandate that's in some churches. Here's where I think there's an issue. Because in this idea, which is very new age with a Christian veneer, the idea is is that we can eventually attain Christ consciousness. Christ consciousness. And I've always wondered, how in the world would this one world ruler be able to take over the minds of everyone else? And it's because he himself declares himself to be God. I'm God. You guys remember a long time ago, what was her name? I can't remember. Out on a limb. Oh, what's her name? Gosh, she was a real big proponent of I am God. Um, Back in the 80s. I don't remember now. She had a movie called Out on a Limb. I remember that. And it was about becoming... Huh? Shirley MacLaine. Thank you very much, Shirley MacLaine. It's that very new age idea. And, and here's the thing. Isn't it interesting that in the very book, 1 John, where John talks about the coming Antichrist, he said that even then there were already many Antichrists, right? And what was he referring to? He was referring to proto, what we call proto-Gnosticism. Secret knowledge. You've been lied to your whole lives. Let me tell you what Christ really is. He was just a man. And it doesn't matter what you do in your body. It just matters, it just matters that you have Christ. They would say the, the light, the light, the Christ likeness. And, and that the light came upon Jesus. And then when he was crucified, the light left and went back to heaven. The body doesn't mean anything. I think we're coming into a time period 
where it's not going to be my God versus your God. It's going to be, hey, guess what? We can all be gods. And guess what? That's very antichrist, isn't it? Very antichrist. Very much of a deception, yes. Okay, and also, too, and you see Gnosticism starting to rear its ugly head at the end of the first century. I think you're going to see it again. I think you're going to see it again. I probably shouldn't say this from the pulpit, but I'm about to say it. I'm about to say it. You ever heard of QAnon? You ever heard of QAnon? I bet you have. A lot of people don't even want to acknowledge they've heard of QAnon because it's very much wrapped up in Christianity in some circles and it's very much wrapped into conservative politics in others. And there's a belief that one day that there's going to be all this evil and wickedness exposed and we're going to create this Christian utopia all over again on the earth and America's going to rise again and we're going to influence the nations. Let me tell you something. It is deception. It is absolute deception. Because when you follow what those people talk about, they talk about eventually all of us attaining to, guess what? Christ-likeness. Christ in us. We become Christ. Deception. Anyway, wow, I don't know where that came from, but that was there. It reminds me of Abraham and Sarah. What's that? It reminds me of Abraham and Sarah trying to be God's... Yeah, they get tired of waiting, and so let's take upon ourselves and do something about it, and then you create an even bigger mess, right? Okay. All right. So it's interesting. Every illusion you have is about this guy shooting off his mouth. Now let's go to verse 36, uh, Daniel 8. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt himself and magnify, magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed for what has been determined must take place. That's how prophecy is. It has to take place at some point. Even though it may take a while, it has to take place. Uh, verse uh, 37. Okay, I think I may have jumped chapters. Hold on. I had it wrote and written down on my paper. Am I in 11.36? My apologies. Go to 11.36. I got ahead of myself, y'all. Chapter 11, verse 36. All right, sometimes I get wound up and I don't know what I'm doing. Let's keep going. Let's keep moving forward like a steam train. Verse 36, the king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will uh, be successful until the time of wrath is completed. For what has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for the gods of his ancestors or for the one desired by women. By the way, who's that? Y'all know what the god desired by women is? So the Jews in the Old Testament, the women, they, they longed for the day that maybe they could be the mother of the Messiah. They were hoping that they could be one day, maybe I'm the mom of the Messiah. Maybe I'll give birth to the Messiah. So he's not going to give any regard to his, the old gods. Okay? His God or any old God. Um, he will exalt himself above them all. Instead of them, he will honor a God of fortresses. What is that? Power. War. Power. A God unknown to his ancestors, he will honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. A God unknown to his ancestors, he will honor. What, who, who is that God? In the book of Revelation, it says that, he, we worship, that they will worship Satan himself. There will be a Luciferian light religion that will be brought upon this earth. It's been talked about for thousands upon thousands of years. 
And, and that's, that's the idea, because what has Satan always wanted? Garden of Eden is going to come to fruition in the book of Revelation. Worship me, right? That's going to be the God that this guy is going to worship. A God unknown to his ancestors, he will honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. Verse 39, he will attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign God and will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. He will make them rulers over many people and will distribute, distribute the land at a price. Now, verses 40 through 45, again, blur the lines between what happened with Antiochus Epiphanes and what's going to happen in the future. But this seems to describe the same thing that the book of Revelation talks about as Armageddon. Okay, let's read it together. Uh, verse 40, same chapter 11. At the time of the end, at the time of the end, the king of the south will engage with him in battle. The king of the north will storm out against him with chariots and cavalry and a great fleet of ships. And he will invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood. He will also invade the beautiful land. That's Israel. And many countries will fall. Watch this. But Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered from his hand. Now I want you to take your Bibles, go back to the very back of your Bible. If you've got maps, if you don't, then find a friend next to you who does. And if you look at the nation of Israel, it's very easy to see that between the nation of Israel on the western side and the current day nation of Jordan on the eastern side, you have a dividing line. That dividing line is the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River that runs all the way down to what was called the Dead Sea. If you go to the right side of the Dead Sea and to the right side of the Jordan River, that whole territory, which is modern-day Jordan in ancient times, was Moab, Ammon, and Edom. And he's saying that this Antichrist is going to take over the whole Middle East. But Jordan will escape. I could say it that way. But Moab, Ammon, and Edom will escape. Now, it's interesting because does this typology fit anywhere else? Well, it's interesting because it actually does. Because when you go to Matthew chapter 24, we're not going to take the time to go there, but Jesus is talking to the Jews there. And again, he's describing things that are a shadow of what is to come at the end. And you see a lot of parallel. You see a lot of blending, if you will. And one of the things Jesus tells them, he says, when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, this is Matthew 24, 15 through 16, when you see the abomination that causes desolation spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee unto the mountains. Now, I'll argue that he is referring to events that will take place at the very end of the age. Same thing Daniel was talking about just a moment ago in Daniel chapter 11. However, in 70 AD, what happened? Titus and Vespasian came in because they were held up at Masada. We talked about that last Sunday. They were being obstinate against the Romans. The Romans had had enough. They destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. And it's interesting because history tells us that the Jews, the Christian Jews, that were living in Israel at the time remembered the words of Jesus that he spoke 40 years earlier. And even though I would say that that passage, that passage is not fully fulfilled then, it is fully fulfilled at the end of the age, those Christians remember that. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, what does he say do? Leave. You said history uh, confirms that. Yeah. It, uh, at that time... People were angry at the Christians. They thought they had some kind of insider knowledge that they didn't share with the others. And, and so because it, what, what they did was exactly the thing to do to be safe. And they thought, 
well, you must have known they were coming right? because it was so precise. That's exactly right. And so that's what happens. So when the, when the Roman armies begin to surround Jerusalem, the, Jew, the Jewish Christians in Israel remembered the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, and they got out before the city was destroyed. Listen, I want to read you an account. This is from, this is from a church historian by the name of Eusebius. Eusebius, Eusebius. He, lo, he wrote later on. Listen to what he says. But the people of the church in Jerusalem had been commanded by a revelation uh, to approved men before the war to leave the city and to dwell in a certain town of Perea called Pella. And when those that believed in Christ had come there from Jerusalem, then, as if the royal city of the Jews and the whole land of Judea were entirely destitute of holy men, then the judgment of God came in and the length overtook those who committed such outrages against Christ and his apostles and totally destroyed that generation of impious men. Epiphanius, a 4th century uh, church writer, said this, This sect of the Nazarenes, who's that? That's us. They called us Nazarenes. Okay? I love that. Is, huh? They still do in uh, Muslim missions. Oh, they do? I did not know that, actually. Oh, that's right, because of the persecution they were put in the... Yeah. So this sect of the Nazarenes is to be found in Beroia, near, I can't say that word, something Syria, up in Decapolis, near Pella. For that was its place of origin, since all the disciples had settled in Pella after their removal from Jerusalem, Christ having told them to abandon Jerusalem and go withdraw from it because of the siege it was about to undergo. Josephus mentions the same thing, but he doesn't talk about Christians. We just assume that, that most likely that's what, he was, that's what he was talking about. Now, what am I, why am I bringing this up? In the first century... When they started to see the Christians, when they started to see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, they remembered 40 years earlier what Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 24, and they fled to a place called Pella. Guess where Pella is? In the land of Moab and Ammon and Edom. Okay, Actually, it's more uh, north. It's Moab and Ammon, which is the northern part. Edom would be down here in the south part. Now, guess what? It's going to happen again. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. Are you kidding me? I vote we go to two hours for class. What do you say? All right. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12 really quick. So this describes the very, very end of the age. I'm not going to take the time to try to interpret all of this because this could be a class all and of its own. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. And on her head, a crown of 12 stars. Just to let you know, that's Israel. How do we know? Because that's Jacob's dream in the Old Testament. Go, go chase that one down on your own. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and pain to give birth. And then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads, ten horns, and his heads were given seven crowns. Does that sound like the book of Daniel? Sure it does. We've talked about this creature already. Daniel chapter 7. Okay. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven. And threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. That kind of sounds like Herod, doesn't it? As soon as the child was born, try to kill him, right? Keep reading with me. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Who's that? That's Jesus Christ, right? Now watch this. Here it is. 
It says, uh, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And then the woman, the woman, who's the woman? Israel. Specifically, though, not unbelieving Israel. Believing Israel. These are Messianic Jews. These are Christians. It says, then the woman, Christians, fled into the wilderness, wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. How long is that? Three and a half years, right? 1,260 days. Okay, so in other words, this picture has been played out before. It happened in the first century. It's going to happen again. There's a reason why he's not going to allow the Antichrist, whoever this person is, to take Jordan, modern-day Jordan, or Moab, Ammon, and even why? Because this is going to be a place that God is going to use to prepare a place so that they can have a place to flee to, a safe haven, a Goshen, if you will, in the last days. Was that the first or second bell? First bell. Good, we got 20 minutes. Let's go. <laughs> Flip over to Daniel chapter 12. I did mean to read this. Matthew 24, he said, Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one who is in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight, your escape out of Jerusalem, will not, be, will not take place in the winter or on Sabbath. Why? Well, practically speaking, that causes issues, right? Um, for then there will be great distress. Now, here's the point I want to make. There will be great distress, unequaled, from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equated again. That is a very important phrase for you to remember. There have been many bad wars in the past. There's been a lot of bad things that have happened in the past, but, but Christ says there's, a, there's one coming that will just make all the other ones look like nothing's ever happened. A great war. And that is why I wanted to read the scripture because now turn to Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. And I hate to set this up for one more week, but I promise you we will get done next Sunday. Uh, but read verse 1 of chapter 12. Here we go. At that time, at what time? We already know he's talking about the last days from everything we read in chapter 11. So at the end time, the last days, the very end of the age, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress, such as not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. Exactly what Jesus said, isn't it? Exactly what Jesus just said. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Now, Michael is mentioned four times in Scripture. Every single time, who's he battling? Satan himself. And uh, in different ways. Revelation chapter 12, 7 through 9. Here, Michael is known as the great prince. He's the protector. What's his job? He's got one job. Protect Israel. That's his job. Gabriel is always seen as an enunciator. Gabriel is always the one bringing messages from the Lord. Uh, but Michael, the archangel, is always protecting Israel from Satan. Now, just so we're clear, he says, your people. Who's he talking to? Daniel. And so we're talking about the Jewish people, specifically Jewish Christians, Jewish believers. Now, one thing I want to point out is that Jesus takes this last seven years of the remaining seven years that was mentioned in Daniel 9. a healthy bell, isn't it? I know. He takes the last seven years from Daniel 9, and he, he hyper-focuses in on these last seven years. You've probably heard people talk about the tribulation period, right? 
And, you know, this is very popular with like the Left Behind series, and a lot of a lot of churches have a, a very strong premillennial doctrine, which is this idea that the church is going to be taken out of here before all this stuff happens. Well. Jesus doesn't really focus so much on seven years. He focuses on three and a half. There's a tribulation time period, but really what's called the Great Tribulation is the last three and a half years, okay? So we're going to stop here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put a note to to stop here, and we're just going to go straight through Daniel chapter 12 next week. Daniel chapter 12 is not a hard chapter. Here's why. There's a lot in it we're not going to understand anyway. (laughs) And I'm not going to try to conjecture it all to you. But we're going to get to the resurrection of the dead, And we're going to get to a very special message that he has for Daniel at the very end of the book. So, God bless you. Let me say a quick prayer over you, and we're going to get ready for worship. Father, thank you for this time that we've had for this uh, book of Daniel. I pray that it will be a witness inside of us, Lord, that you are sovereign and that we are still marching forward to the will that you have for your people, both in America and in Israel. And I pray, Father, that you would bless us as we seek to be your people. Lord, help us to work in mind of these things, not focus on these things, but knowing that these things are still yet to come, may we be found working for you that when you return, uh, that we will have no shame, Father, before you, Um, that we will be brought before you and you will say, good and faithful servant, and we will be welcomed into your kingdom with open arms, Father. May we be about your business. In Jesus' name, amen.